0: Howdy and welcome to Your Dog's Best Life. This is Leanne. Today I thought I'd introduce kind of a new idea just because sometimes I don't have dog training specific stuff to chat about. So I thought it'd be interesting to just kind of go over how we live with dogs or stories along those lines. So this is kind of just story hour. So we're going to call these segments Life with Dogs so that you guys can know. So if you don't like them, you can skip ahead or behind or whatever. So anyway, today I thought I'd kind of just visit how How I live with my dogs and why I live the way I do with my dogs and kind of go over a little bit of history about, I think, how people in the West live with dogs versus maybe people on the East Coast of the United States live with dogs. So I grew up here in the West and in the West we have an idea referred to as open range and it's kind of a bass-ackwards way of, of controlling livestock in that the rancher leases and owns, mostly leases out here, state lands or federal lands, and they fence in those lands. So it could be 10,000 acres, and they have a couple fences to separate into giant pastures. But other than that, there's no other fencing. So roads going through that land, the cattle can cross with impunity because that's open range. If you own property, which is very common within that open range parcel, it is your job to fence out the stock rather than their job to keep them from wandering on your property. So if you own 20 acres inside of 10,000 acres, it's not the rancher's job to keep the cattle from eating your hay or your rose bushes or anything like that. And we discovered that when we were when we moved out to open range when I was a kid. And what happened was so we moved to the open range, we had two horses and we built little corrals for our horses and we brought in hay for our horses. And immediately the cows in the neighborhood discovered our hay. And we're getting into it, and hay is expensive, and you don't want to be feeding the ranchers cows, you want to be feeding your own horses. And it was quickly discovered, we quickly learned that it wasn't the ranchers' job to keep their cows from eating our hay, it was our job to keep their cows from eating our hay. And the reason being is, well, A, the West was founded largely by miners and ranchers, and so they kind of got first dibs on how the laws are written. The other thing is just the costs. Out here, the land is really rough and rugged. A lot of it's just barren rock. There's not a lot of topsoil, so placing fencing in this kind of country is extraordinarily difficult and very costly. So rather than have a rancher already who's fenced off 10,000 acres and then subdivided that into smaller parcels, then have to fence off each and every individual 20-acre segment, that is incredibly cost prohibitive. And we really couldn't have livestock roaming in the west if that were the policy i'm not saying it's whether it's good or bad i'm simply saying that's the policy so we had to face the fact that we couldn't own like roses the cattle ate all of our roses apparently roses are edible for cows they would eat our hay my dad actually bought me a bb gun which i'd wanted since i was a little kid i was pretty much still a little kid when we were this i was 10 and oddly enough i already owned a shotgun (sighs) again that's a western thing (laughs) and but i wasn't allowed to have a bb gun because they were considered too dangerous But I was finally allowed to have one because I would sit in my window and shoot the cows with a BB gun to keep them out of the hay. And they became really savvy. They could hear me pump the little pump shotgun, or the the pump BB gun, and they would run away. So I learned to hide further in the house, pump up the BB gun inside the house, run to the window, and peg them in the ass with the BB from my window without them having heard my pumping sounds. So anyway, that's that's kind of how open range works. And it is obviously very wild west, and even though that was quite a while ago, it's still that's that was 40 years ago. That's still how the west is largely handled when it comes to cattle. If you are driving down a road out here and you hit a cow, uh, assuming you survived the accident, you're liable for that cow. Cow should not have been in the road, you can say, but honestly, You hit a cow and that cow is private property belonging to the rancher and that's his land. So you are liable for that cow. So anyway, when we moved to the country, when we moved to this open range, the other thing we learned quickly is that dogs largely had the same sort of autonomy as cows. There were some caveats and I'll get kind of discuss those a little bit with you, but everybody had a bunch of dogs and they were just a mixed band of, of random dogs and they all lived free. Uh, no one had kennels. No one certainly didn't have crates. They were all just, just running free. And when, say, we'd go on a horseback ride, so we'd get on our horses and we'd take off with our dogs, the neighbor's dogs would just as readily trail along as our dogs, looking for a little bit of an adventure and a, and a fun ride with us. And when the neighbor kids would go for a ride with their horses, our dogs might tag along with them. And that was all acceptable and allowed and permitted. The only issues came if dogs harassed livestock. There were always rumors of roving bands of feral dogs. Um, that was always the big fear. Ooh, there were wild feral dogs. I, honestly, I don't think that's a thing. I don't think it certainly was not a thing here. The ranchers like to talk about it, and the ranchers love the idea of having the opportunity to shoot somebody's dog, but there weren't wild dogs running free. There were our dogs running free, and they would form groups or packs, however you want to look at it, and roam around and chase bunnies together. They weren't bringing down cattle, and they didn't go very far. Mostly our dogs were yard dogs, and if we were in the yard, our dogs were in the yard. And the neighbor's dogs were very similar. If they were, if they were home, uh, those dogs didn't leave the yard. I mean, even when we were home and the neighbors weren't home, we never saw their dogs on our land unless we got on the horses and rode past their property with our horses and our dogs, in which case they'd follow along. Then when we came home, the dogs would peel off, go back to their own homes, And our dogs would come back to our homes it was kind of interesting these dogs all had their own little personal territories of our yard and those territories were somewhat sacrosanct like i had a friend she had a pit bull named brussels sprouts and i had a german shepherd named semper and semper and brussels sprouts hated each other they were two bitches and they were they just loathed each other and they were pretty committed to murder every single time they met if they weren't on neutral ground. So this is really fascinating. So if she came to my house and she had to ride about two miles to get to my house, she'd come with, you know, Brussels sprouts and a couple of her other dogs and they'd follow along. We would instantly put Brussels sprouts like someplace. You know, we'd put her in a pen or we'd do something with her or they would put her on a leash and we would have her contained away from Semper. We'd leave Semper in the house until we got on the horses. Once we got on the horses, and the dogs were moving, everybody got along fine. Then if I went to my best friend's house with Semper then following me on her land, we would have to bring Brussels sprouts inside so there were no dog fights. But that's how those two dogs found a way to get along with each other. And it was fascinating because other than that small kerfuffle between these two particular dogs, there were never dog fights. There were never, I can't say there were never dog fights. There were, there were definitely dog fights in our home, but there weren't dog fights among other dogs. Like our dogs never had fights with the neighbor's dogs, et cetera. Now we did, the other thing that was interesting is when you're riding along, if you rode past, like we use the washes here. So washes are dry creek beds. And they're great way, they're great kind of highways to ride on with horses. They're nice, deep sand, they're easy footing, they don't have holes, and most importantly, they're not full of brush and cacti. So they're great thoroughfares, and horseback riders love them. And we would ride in the washes to get wherever we were going. And so that would bring us up against other people's property as we were riding along. And remember there's this one piece of property they owned a couple of horses. I think they owned about twenty acres and they had two or three dogs that would come charging out every time we rode by and they would get into huge dog fights with our dogs. So we now there were never complaints. No one ever complained about this. We didn't complain about this. This is how life is. And they never came out and yelled at us about our dogs or or our horses. And because we weren't on their property. We were crossing on a thoroughfare of the wash. So what we chose to do as kids is we would just gallop past that point because if we were running fast enough, our dogs would keep moving and their dogs couldn't catch up and we'd all go past and there'd be no kerfuffles. So that's, that's how I grew up. And I think it's important to understand that because when we talk about, one of the things that always fascinates me when I hear about how people live with multiple dogs. I wonder how do they live? How do those dogs live? What kind of life if you own, you know, 10 dogs? What does that life look like for those 10 dogs? I mean, are they spending 20 out of 24 hours in a crate or a kennel? Are they all in the house and your the house reeks of dog dander and dog drool? I mean, I, I just, I, I always wonder about that. And I'm fascinated by that, that question. And when we get people on with multiple dogs, I, I think we should start asking, just doing a, a, a podcast, just talking to folks with multiple dogs, saying, how do those dogs live? I have seven dogs and the way I live with my seven dogs has changed over time. And I think it's important to visit that a little bit. So as I was, I was talking about when I originally moved to the country as a kid, uh, we owned, at the time, we owned two dogs. We owned a little dreadful poodle named Tuffy, who was a hateful bastard, and Semper, my German shepherd. The poodle, I think, kind of ran away right away, if I remember correctly. He was evil. My mom had this philosophy that all of them ran away when it was time to die. And I'm like, no, they run away because they're ill-behaved and have no manners and don't know how to recall. And he had a pretty shitty life, so I don't blame him for running away. So anyway... The Shepherd, though, was my dog, and Semper was. And she, when we got to the property, we just, she lived outside and inside. And when, you know, part of the time she was outside, and part of the time she was inside, it was kind of her choice. And then we've got two more dogs. They were mixed breeds, both of them. They came from what at the time would have been a probably a Puppin Mills store or maybe just a puppy store that took in random Probably just gave money to idiots who let their bitches breed randomly. So mine was theoretically half Elkhound, half German Shepherd, I think is what mine was. But they're all mixes. Mine was supposed to be half and half Elkhound and Shepherd. All I remember seeing really was Elkhound. Her name was Tip. Uh, Tippy Taru is what we called her. My sister's dog was a Samoyed mixed with a Labrador or a Golden Retriever, and his name was Buff. I think I called him Dumb Dumb Something. He was he was not the sharpest tool in the shed. So anyway, and I trained Tip because that was my dog. And again, these dogs just loitered around the house. They they actually, if I recall correctly, they were not indoor dogs. They lived outside. I'm on the microphone, so Dice has found a squeaky toy and is squeaking it. So I may have to go kidnap the toy from him if he persists. So anyway, uh, they are quiet all day long. I swear. Anyway, so this was so we had a pack of three dogs, and they lived on our property unless we took off with with the horses. We had there was another interesting facet to how we lived with dogs at that time. We only spayed females; Uh, males were all left intact. The idea being, if I don't want a litter, I don't have to have a litter I just spay my female but there's no need to neuter the males because everybody spays the females the whole point is moot and I do have to say that that was the idea of most of our, our closer neighbors and we didn't have a bunch of litters of puppies around so it seemed to work It, however, did not work (laughs) with cats, so we accidentally waited too long for our female cat. She was a Siamese, and I believe her name was Syat, short for Siamese cat, and she, we waited a little too long to spay her, and our neighbor's cat, Oliver, who was a Manx, who kind of adopted us and moved in with us. And eventually, actually when we moved away, we took Oliver with us. Uh, he was a cool cat. He was kind of like a dog, big orange Manx cat. Anyway, he and Syatt had a uh, torrid love affair, and they had one litter of kittens. We kept two. We uh, One went to a neighbor. They were all then subsequently immediately spayed. The neighbors, on the other hand, we had one neighbor who was doing this kind of terrifying experiment on inbreeding in cats she had when we moved in she had th- I want to say two black cats that were related to each other and a tortoise shell none of whom were spayed and we had the one male cat in the neighborhood Oliver the orange tabby with no tail and over the generations of this isolated islanded group, because even though we would all maybe other people had cats in the area and maybe they weren't spayed or neutered, we were all far enough away from each other, except for us and this particular neighbor, that the the litters were very isolated. And so all of her subsequent cats, and I believe at some point they were the numbers were touching thirty, were all horrifically inbred and related to this force, this set of four uh, Stark cats. So Oliver and the three other cats. But it was fascinating, even as a kid, because I learned quickly that orange is not uh, genetically a very strong gene. It, it tends to disappear very quickly. So most of the kittens were black and white and they all had like lesser or more tails. And then as the generations kept going, their tails got wonkier and wonkier. They got more, more toes. It was, it was fascinating. It was a very fascinating study in genetics that probably shouldn't have happened um, and could have been prevented with spaying three cats or um, us neutering our male cat. But anyway, that was the rule. Again, that kind of comes along with that open range philosophy is, you know, my animals are my problem um, and they're your problem unless you take care of your end. Uh, on that other conversational part of that is we did have a high responsibility to ensure that our dogs never harassed livestock. That was a ironclad rule. Dogs cannot harass cattle. And we were on open range. And the guy owned, I mean, the thing that's kind of interesting about this, the, these were huge cattle. They were what were called Brangus, which is half Black Angus, half Brahma. They were monsters. Uh, they were easily 2,000 pounds. They were way bigger than my, like, there's no way I could have tied off uh, one of these cows to my horse and expected to be, have anything other than be dragged across the desert by, by a cow. So the idea that one of my dogs could harass one of those cows is kind of ludicrous. But anyway, we, we did not permit our dogs to chase the cattle. And the other rule was, and it was pretty hard and fast and ended with deadly consequences in one case, your dog is not allowed to harass your own livestock or anybody else's. So at one point we did have the neighbor's dog, uh, he had a pretty obnoxious male dog that was a neutered like the rest of them. He tended to spend a lot of time in my yard, which I didn't approve of. So we put that BB gun to work with him, and so he kind of learned to stay away as long as we were there. And one day when we were gone, he came into the yard and he killed all my rabbits. I was raising rabbits for 4-H and they were all in cages. But what happens is if a dog harasses and scares rabbits, they will jump around in their own cage and snap their own spines and kill themselves. It's it's terrible and horrible and sad. And at that point, we spoke to the neighbor and that dog, I believe, was then chained up because that was okay back then. It's not legal where I live now to chain up dogs, but then it was. And again, that comes down to the costs of fencing. So... Uh, we had a neighbor who had a healer a cattle dog and one day I believe that dog was fairly young and I think about a year and a half of age the dog when they were gone killed I think two or three of their sheep brought down a couple other sheep and killed several dozen chickens Uh, that dog's life ended at the end of a bullet it was sad and it was tragic and looking back at it now obviously that's that was a failure on the owner's part not the dog's part dogs aren't especially cattle dogs, aren't expected to not chase stock. Um, That was a a mistake of the owner, but that was how it was back then. So let's fast forward. I mean, life has changed. It's no longer the 80s, and uh, ideally we've changed how we live with animals to some extent. And I have to say that when I moved out here, one of the big things was the ability to let my dogs be dogs outside. I, I grew up that way, I see that as normal, and I like the idea that if I open my door, my dog has access to the big wide world. And we have several neighbors up here, all of whom, or some of whom allow their dogs also to roam fairly freely. One of our neighbors has little dogs, and so they cannot because they'd be eaten by coyotes, but they'll open their door and their dogs will run down to the end of the road where they have declared a, an invisible line between my house and their house where that's their territory and they'll bark at my dogs. Uh, they're about a little over a quarter mile away. So it's not exactly a common occurrence, but that, so that's normal. I have a neighbor up above who has a couple of dogs. We've had some issues with those dogs getting into my livestock and we've had to have some conversations. Again, it comes down to your dogs should not be harassing my stock. Now I do have some dogs that go to other people's property (laughs) and that is tricky because you want to ensure that that's by invitation only. Uh, Billy the kid is a perfect example. When I bought Billy the kid, it was with the understanding that livestock guardian dogs tend to roam and they tend to expand their territory because by expanding their territory, they are able to build a larger and larger buffer between their wards, my sheep, and the predators that surround them. I'm not close to any sort of high speed roads, so I'm not worried about that. I know all of my neighbors up here and she is she is very free and kind of a busybody and she goes where the action is. And so when I have neighbors who are like one of my neighbors constructed a house up here and she was over there so often that the workmen thought she belonged to them and they were buying her bean burritos, which uh, not entirely probably ideal. Nutritionally for her, but whatever. And I call my neighbors. I speak to my neighbors. I'm like, look, if this dog is a pain at all, I will gain control of her. And but again, there's a little bit of that that kind of mindset that we come out here with, which is if we have pets, they're allowed to do their thing. They own cats; their cats roam. Uh, they don't own any dogs, um, or that particular neighbor doesn't own any dogs. I have new neighbors down below. And they are from the West, but they're, they're new. Dice found another squeak toy. Yay. So they are excited about Billy. And hold on one second. OK, I kidnapped the toy from Dice. Oh, so anyway, these new neighbors moved in. And they are from the West. They're Western people. And they're older, so they kind of you know grew up same sort of style I did. And they don't have any dogs, but they're always talking about how they wish Billy would visit them more. And they'll text me when she's over at their house. Oh, Billy came to visit. We really enjoy her. They're buying her treats. So, of course, that's just encouraging her. You know, don't feed the dog if you don't want it coming back. But anyway, that's what I'm used to. And when I moved here, I moved here with three dogs. Uh, I uh, had a dog named my first dog. My first dog is an adult scrapper and she's a little border collie mix the time she was 14 so she was a senior her daughter who was seven i think six or seven maybe and a little mixed breed adopted dog named annie oakley and when we moved here all three dogs instantly understood that their job was to stick around the yard just like the dogs when i was a kid i was like this is oh it's like magic and they were fantastic. They stuck around and they didn't go anywhere. Um, as those dogs slowly over the years passed away and I, re- I replaced them with different dogs and new dogs, I did have an interesting scenario begin to arrive about five, five or six years ago. And that was when I started bringing in purebred Border Collies. Um, until that time, I'd had a bunch of mixed breed dogs or a couple German shepherds. I think I'd had a couple Australian shepherds, but for the first time I'd had border collies. My border collies are not able to be outside. They cannot live that lifestyle that I believe that dogs should live. So I'll give you an example. So five, I'm gonna say five or six years ago, I got two border collies, I got Cody and Dice. Dice was two when I got him, Cody was a year. I got him within a week of each other in May. And immediately Dice is an uninjured male dog. And the very first thing he does is going for, go looking for love in all the wrong places. And even though there's no bitch up here, probably within two or three miles, he is more than willing to put the miles on to look for one. So immediately we had to put a stop to that because that's not appropriate and that cannot happen. So Dice is under lock and key. And even though Dice is now eight, and he no longer goes trekking off for miles and miles and miles. If he's allowed outside without careful, watchful eyes, he will instantly bolt for the neighbor's house who is about two miles away because he, he loves horse shit. He has all these sheep, but that's not a big deal for him. He loves horse manure. He will go to their house, not to their house, he'll go to their horse arena because he doesn't like their dogs so he doesn't want to tangle with their dogs so he goes down to their horse arena which is about maybe 200 yards from their house he will roll in horse manure he will jump in their stock tank he will jump back out of their stock tank he will roll in the horse manure he will jump back into their stock tank and then nice and coated like a breaded drumstick he will run home green and thrilled to death with his achievement and then be locked up outside because he's vile and actually i have a story to tell about that because my neighbor and I, we, we worked the polls together and I was apologizing to him. I said, Hey, you know, I'm really sorry that Dice does this. He's such an asshole. And I, I try to keep him under lock and key, but literally you look away for one second, he's gone. And this is what he's doing. And my neighbor was like, Oh my God, (laughs) I didn't know what the hell my horses were doing. I thought they were like backing up. I'd clean the water tank. And two minutes later it'd be green. And I'm like, what are these idiot horses doing? You know, he thought they were backing up to the to the water trough and shitting in them. And I'm like, oh no, sorry. It's just my asshole dog. So obviously I desperately try to keep him under lock and key because of his criminal manuring behavior. So he's not allowed out without, like I said, without watchful eyes. Cody, she came to me at the same time. She was a year old and she was already a shadow chaser. So she had a bite history on her and... We already were dealing with a bunch of behavioral issues with her. And one of the biggest behavioral issues she has is she cannot tolerate light and shadow. And so if left to her own devices outside, she would chase bees, the shadows of bees all day. She would fixate on blowing leaves all day. Several times she's chased the shadows cast by the vultures as they fly overhead, like completely off the mountain and been found, you know, three, four miles away kind of like with her eyeballs pinwheeling and just <laughs> thrilled to death that she just spent you know hours chasing the shadow of a vulture. So for obvious reasons she can't be outside by her own on her own recognizance. Now as she's aged she's gotten a little better. I still don't let her out by herself, but now at least she just goes down to the geese and stares at them instead of chasing vulture shadows off the mountain. So at least it's a safer bad habit, but it's still not something I want her doing. I don't want her just going and staring for hours on end at poultry. Matilda is a perfect example of just a car wreck of a dog. She can't even be loose for even a second really outside because she gets, she's so tiny, she can get in with my sheep. And then she harasses them and chases them, and she can do extreme damage to them. So she has to be constantly under guard. So I went from a lifestyle where I wanted and expected my dogs to be able to live outside like ranch dogs are supposed to live, to having a bunch of dogs that really cannot be entrusted to their own devices outside. And it has been a massive learning curve for me because I'm not super comfortable with that as a lifestyle for my dogs. Um, I have no problem with my dogs being inside and hanging out with me, but I'm just as happy to let them go hang out outside and tag can hang out outside. Tag makes good decisions outside. Ruby can be allowed outside as long as she's not following tag and, and, uh, Billy down towards the neighbors. Um, cause she'll harass anybody who goes by and we don't want that. So, you know, if the neighbors are doing for a walk, they're very good about texting me and telling me, Hey, we're going for a walk. And that way I can put Ruby up. They can go by safely. Uh, We are more, um, you know, with age, I've become a lot more, I guess, hyper aware of my dog's effect on other people's dogs and no longer see it as appropriate to allow dog fights as my dogs pass other dogs' um, homes, uh, just because I don't think it's appropriate when other people walk by my property and their dogs get in fight with my dogs. So I've become a lot less tolerant of that in my own dogs. So I am super cautious where I take my dogs, whether it's on the ATV or the mountain bike or just for walks. We try not to disturb other people's dogs. If I know other people are out walking their dogs, I will avoid them altogether and go in a different direction. Again, because I don't believe it's appropriate to allow dog fights to occur especially with the dogs I currently possess. Uh, Cody is very dog reactive and she's kind of a, actually for all her all her you know drama, she's kind of a candy ass and would get her butt kicked. So I certainly don't want her becoming more dog reactive as she ages. She's gotten a thousand times better and I don't want it to regress. And so I'm just super cautious about that. I'm also aware of the fact that this lifestyle that I'm leading is probably going away. And the ability to allow my dogs to roam outside is no longer really seen as an appropriate behavior. And it's, it's unfortunately, and I say unfortunately because I think it really does affect the dogs. It's unfortunately a, a, a lifestyle that is disappearing. And there's a good to it. I mean, obviously we have fewer dog fights if the dogs are all locked up inside and nothing bad can happen to them if they're locked up inside. But they also can't have any fun if they're locked up inside. Nothing bad can happen to me if I never leave my house. Well, I could break my neck on my own stairs. But going outside is where the fun is. Why would I deny that to my dogs? And I can't be outside with them 24-7. I mean, I'm a fairly outdoor person, but I'm still not living as much outside as my dogs would enjoy living. I know that. I think that... Times are not on my side, and as our our mores about animals and how they live change, we will see fewer and fewer dogs living the lifestyles that my dogs live. And I see that as a tragedy, but I also see it as kind of a reality, as there's more and more people everywhere, and they come in with different kind of mental attitudes. So I'll give an example. We I worked at a veterinary hospital down in Southern Arizona, and part of my drive to that hospital involved me going by a little cluster of houses right by a fairly major thoroughfare. This is all rural. So every piece of this drive was rural. There was not one. I drove, I think, like right around 30 miles. There was not one stoplight between me and where I eventually arrived at work. So that kind of gives you the idea. This is all rural travel. And the veterinary hospital I worked in was in a small kind of bedroom community, but the way I went didn't involve any lights. So anyway, part of what you go through is an agricultural area. We have a large area that grows pecans in southern Arizona. And along a road, there were a bunch of homes that belonged to the pecan workers. And so these are folks who are either first or second, maybe third generation Mexican immigrants. And that whole idea of open range was invented by Mexican vaqueros back in the 18 or 1700s. And then it was adopted by Western ranchers as a way to own cattle without owning land. Um, You could become a, a millionaire in the 1800s and not own any piece of property bigger than what your house is on by just allowing your cows to roam freely. So this was invented by Mexicans. And so these folks, when they come up from Mexico, they have different ideas on how dogs should live. And so when you'd go by this cluster of homes along this road, you would see dogs in front yards wandering around, maybe alongside the road, maybe on the other side of the road from the houses, sniffing around the bushes. They were all these kind of mixed breed mongrel dogs, kind of big brown tan dogs, shepherdy mixed things. And you'd see them and they were fine. You know, they were doing their thing. Well, we had a coworker who moved in from back east. And by back east, I meant like Iowa, but so the Midwest. But anyway, she came with, she was younger, and she grew up in a different environment. And she had different mores about how animals should be treated. And she kept, quote unquote, rescuing these dogs, bringing them to our veterinary hospital, neutering them, and rehoming them. I'm like... (laughs) You need to stop stealing dogs from these people. She's like, well, they could get hit by a car. And yeah, the traffic going by there, eh, they went kind of, it was a probably a 45 mile hour speed limit, but the areas around those yards were really wide open. I don't think I ever saw a dog get hit. There might've been one or two that had a limp because they might've gotten hit in the past. Um, Learning about cars can be a hard learning curve, but Regardless, I had to instill in her the idea that our ethics we do not have the right to steal people's dogs because we don't like the way they're living. I just it I'm like, you need to stop kidnapping. I think she kidnapped like three or four of them. And these you know, these folks were never gonna go look in the Humane Society for these dogs. They just go get another puppy and bring it in and but it's not appropriate to steal people's dogs. And that is the big fear living up here is that somebody will help themselves to one of my dogs because they're quote unquote rescuing my dogs. And I'm obviously very adamant that if you see a dog out in the middle of the desert where there are people living or the middle of the woods near some cabins or wherever near some farmhouses, do not steal that dog. Unless it is skin and bones and looks like it's dying, don't touch it. It lives there. Leave it the hell alone. But I've had folks pick up my dogs in the past to quote unquote, rescue them. And it's been very heartbreaking trying to get them back. Um, I've had to place posters. I have everybody microchipped. Everybody wears a collar with their name on it. Even I want to say a month and a half ago, catch 'em. my 14 year old dog was down at my sheep. And that is halfway between myself and my neighbors where she's kind of gone to live because three year old child, they, um, are great with food delivery. So anyway, she was probably hanging out with the sheep or she was crossing between our two properties. Somebody saw her, said, oh no, it's a homeless border collie. Even though she looks like she's in fantastic health for being 14 years of age, they put her in her car and they were driving away with her. When my neighbor stopped them down at the vineyard and said, hey, (laughs) what are you doing? And they're like, oh, we found this dog. And she's like, that's my dog. (laughs) Cause that's where she's gone to live is that her house. So as times change, people have this idea that dogs shouldn't live the lifestyles that my dogs do. And, and it's hard for me because of course I feel like we shouldn't judge each other and we all do because we're human beings. I'm judgy, but I hope that people understand that Dogs living outside, dogs living in the elements, that's how dogs have lived for tens of thousands of years. And wolves have lived like that for millions of years. And that's how they all lived. All the way through the the 60s and 70s and 80s in this country, they all lived. And they didn't live these little tiny lives inside crates and inside homes where no one ever steps outside. And honestly, they were better for it. We never had the problems that we have today with behavior with dogs. Um, I was a kid. I, we didn't have any problem behaviors with any of our dogs. The worst we had was one, our, we, we adopted a year old black and tan coonhound named Diablo. He was not, we called him Diablo because he was kind of a doofus, uh, cool dog, but just a big dork. And he, he went on a killing spree one day when we were out of town or not out of town in town where he, our chickens roamed free, and he roamed free with our chickens, and he was young, and he learned that the squeaky toys make noise until they stop, and then he went after another one, and he killed about a dozen chickens in one spree. Interestingly, when I came home, his hen that lived shared his doghouse was still in his doghouse hanging out with him. So it was only running chickens, but nevertheless, uh, you can't murder 12 chickens and do well with that. So we did not pull out the shotgun. We did not kill him. We sent him off. This is actually an interesting story. We sent him off to an old guy in a cabin who lived about 35 miles south of us towards the Mexican border. And about four or five dogs days later, that dog showed up back on our porch. Uh, he, The guy had let him out because, again, no fencing to go potty or what have you, or maybe he just threw them outside because that's how dogs lived back then. And Diablo came home. We rehomed him again to a guy who used black and tan coon hounds to hunt mountain lions. And Diablo had his own ideas and decided that rabbits were more immediate and more entertaining to chase. And that can ruin the entire pack for chasing lions so he was rehomed again. He came back to us. Hold on, let me get this away from Dice. So he came back to us and we rehomed him once again back to the first guy who I think kept him on a chain for a while before he got used to living there and then he stayed there. Really, Dice? Really? Oh, that's Cody now. Fantastic. Sorry about the squeaking. So, anyway, I said their names. That should stop him for a couple minutes. So, the way I currently live with my seven dogs is. Right now, obviously, inside, I have two very loud squeaky dogs, Dice and Cody. Those are the two red border collies. They're seven and eight, or six and seven, one or the other. Outside, running loose and making their own choices are Billy the Kid, my livestock guardian dog, who's probably loitering down the sheep, Tag, who may or may not be with her helping her out, and Catchum, who may or may not be at the neighbor's house or down at the sheep. And then Ruby is in a kennel with Matilda after having come out, they spent the night inside and then went out this morning. We played ball with them. And so I could record, I put them away so I wouldn't have to think about what they were doing. So that's how I live with seven dogs. Uh, Dice and Cody and Tag all take turns being largely indoor-outdoor dogs, um, mostly indoor-outdoor for Tag, indoor almost entirely for Dice and Cody. Dice will spend more time in the kennel then Cody will, because he, like I said, if you open the door like in the middle of the night and you're tired and you just open the door, let him out for a second, and then you go back in the house for a minute, he will take that opportunity to go to the neighbor's house and jump in their stock tank and roll in horse shit. So because of that, he he might spend the night in the kennel as opposed to the house just because I don't want to deal with his behavior. Uh, Tag kind of can get do whatever she wants. Cody can only generally be inside and Billy's always outside except for for feeding time when I do want to check on her and see how everything is going. Uh, Ruby is outdoors except for feeding time. Sometimes she comes inside. Like last night she spent the night in the house. Um, I just like to let her remember that she's part of the family. Uh, Sometimes she gets shunted to the side, and Matilda is always under lock and key of some kind because she is the one who's the most dangerous if she gets loose for even a minute because of the choices she makes, um, because she can really do damage to my stock. And that again is a major, a major problem because that just cannot happen. So anyway, I hope you kind of enjoyed this little segue into, we're going to, I think like I said, we're going to kind of visit some of this stuff just because I, sometimes I don't have brilliant ideas. I know it's hard to believe. And, I think it'd just be interesting. I mean, we are gonna give you a little peeks into how, what it's like to live with these dogs. We'll probably give you little biographies of various dogs, maybe discuss um, the dogs I've owned in the past, things along those lines, just kind of life with dogs. So it won't really be educational as much as just maybe eye-opening or, or just a way of looking at different at life a little differently. You know, I see dogs that live in the city and live under lock and key all the time as very, very broken much of the time and which is why it's so painful for me to have matilda living under lock and key where in the city this would be her life and there'd be no questions she'd always be in the house or always be in the creator always be um, you know in the dog run or in the backyard or under some sort of containment or down at the dog park or you know, there, there'll always be some level of restraint on her. And that is normal for 99% of the dogs who live in urban America today. And I'm certainly not judging. Um, I mean, that's a safety issue that has to happen. I mean, my God. And that's part of the reason she can't live in the city is she jumps fricking four foot walls without even thinking about it. So, I can't imagine her in the city, but at the same time, I'm trying to, to deal with a dog who for the first time ever absolutely cannot be allowed to make her own choices outside for even a second because of the choices she'll make are just too dangerous and the costs are too high if she makes a bad decision. So if I'm not actively working with her outside, she has to be someplace under my control and that has to be either inside and then she has to be watched because she's so active inside or outside but again she has to be carefully watched or kenneled inside she's often kenneled and that's really hard and so I have to really balance that with my desire to just open the door and let her dog so the lives that most dogs live in the city is very alien to me and very restrictive to my way of thinking. And I struggle with that with my own dogs. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. Um, happy training and have a fantastic day. Thank you for listening. Please contact us on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. It is your dog's best life. And you can ask any questions. You'll have photos and stuff there. So like rate review and some other word, which I always forget. Thank you. Share. Thank you. Bye.